Hi, this is Greg Voison inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth Podcast number 870 with Rusty Gaylord about his new book entitled Breaking the Code, Stop Looking for Answers and Start Enjoying Life. This podcast number 870 is brought to you by Dave Anderson, author of a new book entitled Intentional Mindset, Developing Mental Toughness and a Killer Instinct. Dave focuses on what it takes to create an awareness of being intentional and living a life that focuses on you achieving your goals, dreams, and feeling good about your accomplishments. If you want to learn more about author Dave Anderson, please visit his website at www.learntolead.com. That is learn, L-E-A-R-N-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. And now for our featured podcast with my interview with author Rusty Gaylord about his new book entitled Breaking the Code, Stop Looking for Answers, and Start Enjoying Life. Enjoy listening. Thanks. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyson, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us today from the San Francisco Bay Area, what city are you actually in, Rusty? I'm in Redwood City, just north of Palo Alto. Redwood City, perfect, is Rusty Gaylord. And Rusty has a new book that we're going to be talking about called Breaking the Code. Uh, This book can be obtained on Amazon. You'll have, have links to places for people to go get this. And it's Stop looking for answers and start enjoying life. Well, Rusty, it's a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. And it is one of those books that's an eye-opener. I'm hoping for most people who go out and buy that or listen to this interview, um, because you kind of lay out your soul there. And I'm going to let the listeners know a little bit about you, and then we're going to get into your history as well, because it's important to the book. But he was a former worldwide director of finance at Apple. Rusty left his 25-year corporate career in 2019 to pursue a profession with more meaning and purpose. Uh, Over a decade of personal and professional development experience, Rusty is certified as a coach in 2018. He has a BSE from Princeton University and an MBA from Stanford. So uh, for all of you listening, Rusty followed the 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 I don't know he followed his way up the corporate ladder <laughs> and he did all the right things and that's what this book is about um so Rusty let's start right off um you know you speak with our listeners really briefly about your history and how you came to write breaking the code uh and as you say it you know this is for the fellow A students who did all the right things in life you know um, I have a son who's at Adobe, and he's the head of new design engineering, and he did all the right things, you know, magna cum laude, and it, it, he was valedictorian, and, you know, married now with two kids, <laughs> you know, all that. And Sean, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that he definitely was the A student who followed all of the right paths. Um, you know, you took a turn and I'd like for you to kind of tell that story, not from your intelligence, you're an extremely bright man. Um, 
but you know, some of the people at Apple thought you were freaking crazy when you quit, and others really wanted to know more about what does a transformational coach do. <laughs> Yeah. Well, first of all, Greg, thank you so much for having me here. It's a real pleasure to to have this conversation with you. Um, so, you know, I was raised in a family where there was a lot of value placed on success and doing well. Uh, so I grew up with that mentality of being as assertive as I can, being as successful as I can, getting the best grades that I can, and aiming for success in my career. My dad was very successful in his his career. And so that was the model that I grew up around. And it really became ingrained in me. So I went to the best schools I could get into. And I got into some great schools. I did well in school. I got my first jobs. I got promotions, all of that. And I ended up very much like you just described your son, right? It's like I had got the house. I got married. I had the kids. I had a great job. I was stable in my job. I worked in an amazing company. I was working at Apple. And I didn't really see any further boxes to check. It's like, well, I've kind of checked all the boxes I thought I would check in my life, but now what do I do? So I came to this place where I was looking ahead and saying, I don't want to spend the next 15 years of my life basically doing the same thing, kind of on uh, on autopilot or on repeat, just repeating the same thing day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. And And I just, so that idea of, Waiting for retirement just was was uh, just sunk my heart. Really, I just I couldn't I couldn't imagine that. But I had no idea what else to do. So I, I knew I wanted something that was more meaningful, more fulfilling. But I didn't know how to get there because I would look at my resume and say, "What else am I qualified to do? What other kind of jobs can I get?" And the answers to that weren't any more fulfilling than what I was doing already. You know, I could have gone to another big tech company. I could have done a startup, maybe done consulting, but it felt like another version of the same thing. And that's not what I wanted. I wanted something that was more meaningful and fulfilling. I wanted something. So when I reached retirement or reached the end of my life, I looked back on my life and I said, did I spend that portion of my life? Well, did I invest my time and my energy into something that was productive and meaningful? And do I have something to show for it besides just a bank account? And that was the question that I was stuck on for years, really. And it came to a head when I actually, to use the words that I've put around it, broke the code about what do I think is possible for me? What do I think I should do? Given my background, what is appropriate next step for me? Once I broke through all of those kind of assumptions and constraints that I had, that's what enabled me to find a new path. And I just feel so compelled having been down that path. I know how tiring it is, and how uh, at some point it can feel empty to check all the boxes, to go for the A all the time, to really do your best, but then find yourself to what end asking that. And so I wrote the book for people who find themselves there. And I know in Silicon Valley, and not just in Silicon Valley, but all over the country, there's really smart, successful people who find themselves questioning, you know, I've worked so hard, but for what? And now what comes next? And so the book is really for those people. Well, and it does a good job addressing the emotional, spiritual uh, elements that one goes through. And I want to acknowledge you for that. You know, um, you made some hard decisions, right? And a lot of people choose never to make those decisions because they're afraid. Uh, There's a lot of fear and it takes a tremendous amount of courage 
to make the decisions that you made to go down the path. And it's not because you may have been uh, all together financially that you could make that decision. Uh, you have to be all together emotionally to really be able to make those kind of decisions. And it takes digging deep into the soul and asking some pretty heavy questions and using contemplation, um, whether you're a great meditator or you're a great contemplator or you're somebody who does yoga or whatever you are, you literally have to get in touch with that element of you in the world and listen to that small voice inside that you realize is the true voice. Um, you know, I wrote a book about this, so I wrote a book about intuition. Um, and, and, and we said that, you know, you were at the top of your game when you gave notice to your boss at Apple. You told him you're going to become this transformational courts coach and pursue more meaningful work, underscore meaningful work. And that's the, probably the big operative word here for most people listening. Um, what do you believe were the reasons for you making this choice in life? You've talked a little bit about it. And what were your greatest regrets and or personal pains prior to making the decision? In other words, I, I think that sometimes people go through this uh, mourning as well, right? It's like they'll make that decision and then there's a mourning. Oh, God, what did I do? You know, because they don't have enough faith and they're not listening to it. So that's a regret, right? Uh, hopefully you didn't have any regrets, but it'd be quite unusual if you had made these big decisions and hadn't had some regrets. And then what were the personal pains that, that you were having, emotional pains you were having uh, just prior to making these decisions? Um, I, I, well, I will say very fortunately that I have... I really have had very few or no regrets around this decision. Okay. Uh, and so it's been, you know, it's, which is not to say it's been easy, right? I, you know, I, I think that anytime we make a change like this, as you said, there's fear and you have to find the courage and the strength to work, work through that. And, and hopefully we'll talk more about that. But the, uh, the, in terms of the personal pains, you know, I, I talked a little bit about the career path I had taken that brought me to this point where I wanted to do something else. But the desire for a more meaningful work was really the intersection of this career path that I was on, plus my personal life. And in the personal life, the thing that happened was I got divorced after 13 years of marriage. I never thought I would be divorced. Right? When we think about the A players, it's like you, you do everything right. You get all the good grades. And that does not include getting divorced. Of course, that was never in my playbook. But it happened. And it was, to me, it was the biggest public undeniable failure that I had had. And that's how I saw it. I saw it as a failure. And it was incredibly painful, both the losing of my marriage that, you know, I have a son. And so, you know, that makes things even more complicated. And then also just the changing the way I saw myself, honestly, uh, because, I, you know, I had seen myself as the A player, someone who was successful, who accomplished his goals. And I had in many aspects of my life, but then I failed in my marriage and that my marriage fell apart. So I had to come to terms with that. Like, oh gosh, maybe I'm not fully defined just by my successes in life. And, you know, checking the boxes and, and accomplishing all my goals. Yes, that's important, but that's not all there is to life. And I can still be a good person even when something doesn't go well. So I learned so much about myself having to navigate this divorce. And it was wildly painful. Uh, and it was a high conflict divorce, unfortunately. And I would not wish anyone that kind of experience that I went through. 
but I would not trade the learnings for anything because I grew as a person and came out of that so much stronger. So it was the confluence of these things of getting divorced and finding myself in a job where I was looking ahead saying, There's, I don't see what's next for me. And I'm just waiting it out. And I don't want to wait for 15 years for the next thing. So it was the confluence of those things. And it was this the pain of the divorce plus the new knowledge that I can make it through something difficult. Uh, so it was it was that plus the the dissatisfaction of waiting at work that really came together and and created the opportunity to make a change. Well, it's interesting because during this last year with COVID, I I don't think I told you this, but uh, you know I lost two good friends, not to COVID, and I lost two brothers. Hmm. Uh, there were only four of us, so there's two left. And what happens to you is the Looking at finitude, which we're going to talk a little bit about because you lost your father, um, you get in in contemplation or at least understanding that we have a finite amount of time here on the planet, uh, that we want to make an impact. Uh, This is partially the reason why I do the show um, is to help people understand better from other people like yourself. And I get to be the catalyst to make that happen. And that's part of my contribution. My other contribution is a lot of charitable work. But the point that I'm trying to make is someplace people have to find more significant meaning than just earning a buck. Okay. Uh, and and it, it takes reflection. And if you were going to break the code, you need to be able to answer questions about taking, I call it the high road with an affirmation of belief uh, that we can make it if we want to make a career transition as you did. In other words, it's it's challenging. You said you went through your challenges. What advice do you have for somebody who might be about, might be, probably is afraid to break the code? I'd say there's more people out there probably listening that are afraid to break the code than the ones that would actually break the code. Absolutely. I, I, you're, you're 100% right. It, the, the number of people who are willing to actually step forward and claim their right to a life that is better than the one that they're living now is small. You know, it's it's whatever, it's 2, 5%, 2%, 5%, 7%, but it's in the single digits percentage of people who are willing to do that. And it's fear. Fear is a fear is a huge barrier to people. But the the thing I think that's so interesting about fear is people, many people say, well, I'll move forward once I don't feel so afraid. But that's really not the way it works. You know, courage is not the absence of fear. People think, you know, courage is, well, I'm, you know, I'm strong and I'm capable. And so I just, I don't feel afraid anymore. But that's not what courage is. Courage is the willingness to move forward in the face of fear while feeling it. And, you know, my example of that is leaving Apple 25 years in the corporate world. Uh, You know, I'd invested in an MBA and this was how I saw myself. This was so much of my identity. So to walk away from that, a stable paycheck, to go do something I'd never done before, to go from an expert in my field to a beginner in my field, of course I was nervous. There was, there's no question about that. But one of the ways I work through that, and this is something that I just, I I like to help 
people with. And I find this to be very. I think, Rusty, what might be important to say is, and um, I remember reading this, you chose to take a demotion instead of a promotion, um, which put you in this dead end position because it was costing you more of your time. I think this is important because, you know, you were the kind of guy that worked through lunch while everybody else was going to lunch because you were so driven. Okay. Um, so you weren't having as much fun, maybe, <laughs> but, but the reality was, is you got stuck in this dead end kind of area is what the way you told it. And I think that's an important element to the story. Um, because on the flip side of it was more demands on your time working with people internationally that was taking up very important time with your family. And you said, I'm not going to give that up to do that. So give me a job that doesn't do that. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. It is. I did. I, yeah. I, had, I took a lower level job because I, I, I felt that pinch between the demands on my time at work and my desire to be present in my family. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think for a lot of people out there, that happens. At some point, there's this turning point where somebody wants to give them a promotion, but a promotion doesn't always mean more freedom. It actually usually means a lot more time at work. And and you didn't want to spend that much more time at work. So what, what do you advise to have for the people that are afraid? They're maybe about ready to get a promotion. They're going, damn, I don't this is just going to take up so much of my time. I'm not going to be able to get out of it. I'm a rat on a wheel is what it is. I'm the rat on the wheel. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so there's, there's two parts of that. One part is the really getting clear about what success looks like to you. It's Mm -hmm. so easy to say, well, success is the promotion and success is a bigger paycheck and a bigger house and a bigger car and all of those things which is society, right? That's, that's what we're, that's the, the vibe that we're, that we live in, but that's a very simplistic view of success. And it's so important to understand and really think about what does success look like for you? And one of the ways I encourage people to think about this is to do what I like to refer to as the rocking chair test. I got that name from a friend, but it's, you know, imagine yourself, towards the end of your life where you're sitting in a rocking chair reflecting on your life and look back to this moment in time and ask yourself from that perspective of reflection, what was the right choice? What is the right path for you? That's something that I did when I was contemplating leaving Apple. I was saying, you know, whether and it could be you're contemplating turning down a promotion or you're contemplating leaving your job to start something else. There, whatever decision you feel like you're facing, you can reflect back on it from a future perspective. And that future perspective somehow is older and wiser, has the benefit of hindsight, even though you're doing this in your imagination. And it's way easier to get to that intuitive sense, to connect with that intuitive sense of what is the right path forward for you. You know, it's interesting. There's a quote in your book, and I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I used to teach a course called The On Purpose Person. And it was Kevin McCarthy who started that course years ago, and then I created my own. And one of the things was, is your life on purpose or is it by accident? And, and that's a pretty similar quote to what you had in the book. And I think the reality is, is that you're saying people have the option to live a life on purpose 
although they don't know it because the code tells them that they can't have life on purpose. Um, when you got your coaching designation, you said that this this was transformational coaching designation. You brought you to tears because it was a hundred percent your choice, mm-hmm. and that that's where I was making that analogy between being on purpose and and being by accident. Right? Life isn't by accident. So for those who have brought into their living with their lives with these expectations of others in other words it's like okay my mom my dad my boss my whatever expects me to do this what advice would you give them to break free from that bondage because they are trying to live a life around what somebody else has an expectation of them being they've always lived that life so the hard wiring is pretty set you know in other words the the neurons are firing the wiring in the brain goes that way and it goes, no, I've got to be a good little boy. This is the way I'm going to be. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a challenging wiring to, um, to break bondage from. Uh, and I do believe there's a lot of people out there in a ton of pain. Speak from your experience. Yeah. Well, I think there's, you know, there's, there's a whole process around this and we'll, we'll talk about this, the acronym code, which I've, which I've got for how to break through this. But before I go that, I I guess I would say that I talk about the three essential ingredients to find the zone of possibility. And the zone of possibility is where you can connect with your internal sense of what's not only possible for you, but what you would love to have in your life. So it's how do you break how do you break away from that programming of what other people want or expect of you? And there's three elements to the zone of possibility. The first one is quiet. And quiet is important because it, you've talked about meditation, Greg, and you know, but there's many ways to find quiet in your life. It could be gardening yeah. if you like gardening or going for a walk. I mean, there's no one answer. But it's finding a place where you can separate yourself from everything that's coming at you. And that might be expectations of other people, but it can also be text messages and email and social media and all the things that come bombard us all the time. So you need to quiet as a way of getting away from that so you can tune internally and listen to what's coming from you. So that's the first piece. The second piece is to listen to your heart. A lot of smart A players over-index on their intelligence. And you can't think your way to an answer to what would you really love to be doing? How would you love to upgrade your life? What does success look like to you? That's not an analytical question any more than it is when you go to a restaurant and they ask you, what would you like to eat? You don't analyze the menu to come up with an answer. You say, what do I feel like? What sounds good to me? And that's listening to your heart and your gut. So that's the second essential element to finding, breaking free of what other people want and finding it in yourself. And the third essential element is courage. Because you have to be willing to listen to what you hear. It's so easy to get an idea that pops up and immediately bat it away and say, oh, no, that's impossible for me. I could never do that. Or, you know, that's, that's out of bounds. And we might, we might ignore those things consciously, and we might even ignore them subconsciously in this way that's like we don't even allow those possibilities to surface. So it takes some quiet listening to your heart and courage in order to tune into what is it that you really want and what would be, what does success look like for you? Those are three good, excellent pieces of advice for anybody, you know, getting time for contemplation uh, is so important because that's the first 
point, you know, three years down from the cell phones and the computers and the things around you and go walk in nature, take a bike ride, go do a swim, uh, meditate, uh, tai chi, yoga, whatever it might be. There's lots of things. Now, Rusty, you, you went through this painful divorce, as you'd said, but despite all the things you did to save the marriage, um, it, it still ended. Um, and you advocate that emotional pain can be beneficial and that we don't have to wait for things to get bad to choose a life of fulfillment. Um, although frequently that is the way it happens, uh, the pain comes and it's big enough that we make a change. We're willing to change. It's unfortunate as a human species that we almost are wired this way, uh, but we seem to be. Um, proactive change in that respect doesn't happen as frequently as people think. Um, so what would you tell someone who's sitting on the fence about changing a career, getting out of a marriage, um, that might ease their anxiety and fear about making the move on a proactive basis versus waiting for something to come down on top of them uh, because they're saying, you know, your wife says, well, I'm leaving you or, or the, the boss says you're fired or whatever it might be. There's lots of things that can happen. Yeah. I think oftentimes we're, we are pushed into this when things get uncomfortable enough, but the alternative is to get pulled into a change because what's on the other side is appealing to you. And if it's, if that resonance and that appeal is strong enough, it's, it's, there's enough pull that you're willing to move through the resistance because we all have resistance to change. That's just part of it. That's, that's normal. That's part of it. Uh, so part of what I would encourage people to do or contemplating a new job or leaving a marriage or whatever it is, we get so focused on the change aspect on the part that seems hard that we lose focus on what's on the other side. And what's on the other side is, you know, that's where you get the opportunity to recreate what it is that you would love. What kind of work would you really enjoy doing? What kind of relationship do you want to be in? What is good about that kind of life that you want to live? So remember keeping that in focus, keeping the, the goal in focus rather than all the obstacles and the hurdles. Remembering that whatever you're putting your attention and your focus on, it's like a magnifying glass and it just amplifies the experience of that in your life. So if you're putting a magnifying glass on all the problems, you're going to be amplifying the problems in your life. So rather than yeah. do that, bring, bring your attention and the magnifying glass to the solution, to where you're going, to the destination, to your vision, and all of the good things that will come from that. And keep your focus on that, because that's why that's the whole reason for making a change. And the second thing and I would all add the more is that, reason, all the more reason I would say that people need a coach during this time. They need somebody, whether it's a psychologist, a coach, whatever your, your, your choice is. Now, you know, obviously Rusty does coaching. He's a transformational coach and he'd love to hear from you. Here's my, uh, my commercial for you a little bit. Um, you know, you can reach out to him and we're going to put a link to his website. Uh, but the reality is, and he's got a page that we're going to put up there for two free chapters as well uh, of the book. Uh, we'll also have a link to Amazon. But my point is, look, we brought up a, an element here that takes courage. Uh, it even takes courage to find a coach and choose to go do coaching. 
right? A lot of people think they can work through this themselves. And frequently you can, but it certainly is less painful when you have a confidant to speak with about it. Uh, It makes it easier. Okay. So just a quick note on that, Greg, you know, you mentioned earlier that my my dad passed away last year and uh, I was talking to a friend who happens to do grief counseling. And there's a part Mm -hmm. of me that said, I don't need a grief counselor. I've been in therapy for 15 years. I'm a coach. Like I, I know how to do this, but I had one conversation with this guy that was so insightful. I said, Oh my gosh, I want to do this. And I'm sure I could have navigated the loss of my father on my own. I'm sure I could have, but it was a deeper and richer experience to do it with someone else. I learned more and it's part of the human journey to enjoy being in that process with somebody else. Um, so I just, you know, that that was just a simple experience that I had, or maybe not simple, but meaningful experience that I had recently about working with another person. And I just think that the people and the relationships and the ability to have someone else to see help see things that you can't see yourself is just so rich and powerful. So um, just to- Well, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think part of that too is the society- you know, I just did an interview with a gentleman in San Francisco on a book called Reinventing Masculinity. And I think as males, we have this society has, you know, tagged us to act in a certain way and be in a certain way. And you really have to be a compassionate male individual to understand this side of it. And I think that's part of what's missing because we grew up not to be so compassionate and understanding, but to be driven. Um, and I would say that's much of the masculine population, okay? Um, so again, I'd say awaken all the males who are listening, awaken, go back and listen to that podcast that I did with Ed on uh, reimagining or, or reinventing your masculinity. It was a fascinating interview. So, Yeah. And so you were about to say you had two fingers up when I interrupted you. Uh, Do you remember? (laughs) Yes, I do. I wanted to say the other thing about change uh, and fear is that the anticipation of making a change in your life is usually way harder than actually making the change. Almost everybody I talk to after they've made a significant step forward in their life looks back and they say, oh, my gosh, that was not nearly as hard as I thought it was going to be. So right. I just, I want for all, for all the listeners out there who have something in their life that they want to do, whether it's reaching out to a coach, making a change in your career, in a relationship, whatever it is, the, the thought about it is always harder than the reality of it. So just, just remember that. Agreed. Agreed. It's like the journey you have to take through it, um, not, you know, not around it. Uh, you really have to live it and feel it. And you state that we all have a code that we live by, I'd agree, that it's not abstract, it's not esoteric, that it is biological, I'd agree. Can you tell us more about the code and how to break free um, from it if we are highly dissatisfied? We're just dissatisfied with a lot of things. Um, And, you know, I, I said this, I've said this in a few times, I think it's, it's, not your aptitude that determines your altitude, it's your attitude. And I think that, you know, when you walk around with just a pissed off attitude and anger, you're really in trouble. 
<laughs> so how do we break this code if we're dissatisfied? Yeah. Well, you know, I talk about the code being biological because when you just biologically, the way your brain works, you can't think through every decision that you make. It's just impossible. Like your brain doesn't have that kind of processing capability. If you reflect back to learning to drive, I know my experience learning to drive, it felt totally overwhelming. The steering, the gas, the brake, the traffic around me, the turn signals, which I was still remembering is up right or left. And, you know, I mean, it's all of these little things. Before it is automated in your brain, which becomes code, you've got to think about it. And you just can't navigate life that way. There's way too much. There's way too many decisions to make. So, so many of your habits become and your beliefs become automated. So think about just as an, as a, to reveal some of your code, think about it this way. Like, what is your response to this? Work is hard. Does, do you agree with that? Do you disagree with it? Or you have to put on your game face when you go to work. You can't be your normal relaxed self. Do you agree or disagree? Like though your response to those reveals your code. So it's, you got, you want to just know, first of all, that you have this code. Now, in terms of how do you break the code, the, you, 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 Greg, you were asking, you know, if there's, if you have a lot of dissatisfaction in your life, what that sounds like to me is, is you're, you're in a fair amount of discomfort. And the more discomfort you're in, the easier it's going to be to break the code. But you, as I said earlier, and we talked about, you don't have to be in that much discomfort to break the code as long as the appeal of what's on the other side is strong enough. And if that pulls you forward. So the, the really, the, the, the way to break the code is to recognize that it exists, first of all. And secondly, is to create a vision or a design of your life that is appealing enough to you that you're willing to step forward and move through the discomfort of change in order to accomplish it. And in doing that, you will be breaking the code, your old patterns of, and beliefs about what's possible and how you walk through life so that you can move forward and accomplish this goal. So you really get two birds with one stone. By taking those actions, not only do you break the code and start to reprogram your habits and your beliefs, but you also start to move forward and accomplish this thing in your life that's important to you. Yeah, it's a, it, it's so simple to say, a little more difficult to do. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I, I use this uh, game analogy uh, early in my career, a gentleman by the name of Larry Wilson of Wilson Learning used to play games with people in corporate America. And the game was, you know, there'd be this big pad on the ground and there would be money and he used money. And I thought that's it's a really good idea. And the clock would be ticking. But if the team actually stepped on the landmine, they literally... Uh, what would happen is uh, they had to go back and figure out the maze to get through before the clock would stop and they'd lose the money. It was the teams that were willing to step on the landmines, okay, meaning the, the have the pains that actually always won the game because they figured out the, the pathway so that the clock stopped before all the money ran down. It was the teams that were sitting there trying to figure it out mentally and plot every little thing and everything that lost the game. Right. And he was saying, you have to, in the example here is you have to be willing to make mistakes. And I think that's part of it. You can't be afraid of the mistakes that you'd be willing to make. And that was my point of the story. We're all going to make mistakes. 
Um, we're all going to have learning lessons, not failures. I call them learning lessons. So get the learning lessons out of the way so that you can use those for your strength. Now, you were you were this really intelligent guy at school. You excelled at school. You always got the A's. You did everything right, um, as we've said. And at your expense, you ended up unhappy, unfulfilled. Not all the time, but let's just say, ultimately, that's where you got to. Speak with the listeners, if you would, about following your heart, which you have a bit, to a life of joy, freedom, and meaning in work and life, not just in work. Well, yeah. So first, I just want to say just a quick side note. I love that story you just told about that game. You have to be willing to step on the landmine. Uh, I just thought it's brilliant. What a a fun exercise that must have been to witness. (laughs) It, it It was a great, it was a hell of a learning experience because if you were with teams that weren't willing to risk, there you go, weren't willing to risk, they always lost. The teams that were willing to take the biggest risk or the individuals were the ones that always won. I don't know if that's always true in life. I will just say it was true with this game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Just as, as a side note, there's been actually academic studies of the same thing. I think it was photography where they said, you know, one group was assigned to take the best picture and the other group was assigned to take as many pictures as possible. And at the end, when they look for the best picture out of all of this, it came from the quality quantity group rather than the quality group. Same, same idea. Yeah. Um, well, you know, who's a good example of that national geographic photographer. I'll never forget. I went to a big event um, and got to hear him speak. And real quickly, his name was DeWitt. And uh, you probably could look him up. And he used to hear a voice inside his head. And he said, I'd always listen to the voice inside my head. And it said, it would say, turn around to it, lay down to it, change the, and this voice was like talking to him. Now, most of the photographers thought he was crazy. He always got more pictures published than anybody else because he took different angles, different shots of the animals. But he was listening to his intuition say, turn around to it, take a picture from this angle, right? And I think that's part of what you've got to do. You've got to plug into that. You've got to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. And you just asked about, you know, it's not just career, it's about life. And I think that it's that listening to that intuition. And it's absolutely about life. You know, we get, especially A players, we get so focused on career, which is, you know, hey, the meaning is the promotion and my salary and all of this. But, you know, when you're taking your last breaths and reflecting on your life, what will you be thinking about? What will make a good life? I just, you know, nobody, nobody has end, at the end of their life saying, I wish I spent more time at the office. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's like, I, I heard somebody quip one time. It's like, Hey, you know, I don't want to be the person on my, on my gravestone. It says here, you know, here lies Rusty. He worked hard and paid his bills on time. I mean, like, that's just not the life I want to live. Yeah. And the answer to what you want, it's not just about work. It really is about life. And, you know, we somehow have fallen into this trap or this this belief system that it's like we have compartments of life. We've got the work compartment and then we've got the rest of life compartment. But if anything, over the last 18 months during COVID, we have learned those things are way more integrated and by by necessity over the last 18 months. But even beyond that, they're really more integrated. And 
you know, our habits around what we do at work show up at home, our habits around what we do at home shows up at work. It's really about crafting a a holistic version of your life so that you enjoy the work you do. You enjoy your family. You've got free time. You're healthy. You've got good relationships. All of these things matter. There's no one thing that makes up a good life. It's the combination of all of these things. So, you know, in all of my work, a lot of people come to me because of career. But the work that we do is never only based on career. It's about it's about the whole picture because that's what life is. I'm just curious. This is off the bar question, but of all the people you coach, how many of them have a background in being uh, CFOs or financial people or are driven that way? What's the percentage? Is it pretty high? No, it's. I would say it's not necessarily finance oriented people. But the the common denominator, you know, I work with business owners, I work with people who work in corporations, in all sorts of different functions. But really, the common denominator is this a player mentality. Uh, Because it doesn't matter what field you're in, but it's it's the way you think. Well, you know, you have to have the pedigree. Um, You know, when you get into Silicon Valley, which we'll talk about your website here, um, Dream Builders. Um, it's, it is, you know, the pedigree has been important in the past. I don't know if it's as much anymore, but it certainly has been. Now, Rusty, you've taken this path spiritually. Um, I can say this personally. I was with the first church of religious science. I became a practitioner. Um, I'm now a devotee of self-realization fellowship. I've been around the block. I have a master's degree in spiritual psychology. So I get it. And I get that you can get super inspired by the monks and the various people. You can go on a junk at the India. You can go to an ashram. You can take any direction. But you attended the talk given at Unity Church, which used to be one of the churches that I went to in Palo Alto. And the speaker was Felisa Sierra. How do you say her last name? Circe. Felicia Searcy. And and she was speaking about the ultimate life now. Okay. What was it in that she said in the short 20-minute presentation that I'm sure you can remember vividly because I can remember listening to Terry Cole Whitaker at uh, in, during religious science thing that really changed your life forever because it seemed like it was a pretty pivotal point for you. It was a pivotal point. It was where I got the inspiration and the idea to become a coach it was inside of that, mm-hmm. in that inside of that 20 minute talk. And the thing that she said, which if I put my language around it, it was breaking the code. But what she was saying was, if you start to think about what you would love to do with, with your life, with your career, with, but even more broadly, as you said, with your whole life, how that whole picture looks, imagine for a moment that you could not worry about what other people would think about it. If you didn't worry about how much money you made or you thought you would make, if you didn't worry about whether you're qualified, whether you've done anything similar in the past, if you didn't worry about what your friends and family would say about it, if you you put all of those things aside and you just ask yourself, what is it that you would love to be doing? What would make you happy? What would bring you joy in your life? How would you start to describe your life? And that it was... It was the breaking through all of those assumptions that I had 
about the way, the kind of work I should do and what was expected of me. It was breaking through all of that. It was breaking the code again, to use my words around it, that allowed me to come up with this idea of, wow, I want to talk to people about life and what matters in life. And that became the seed, which led me down this path of becoming a coach. Well, you know, I can say, Rusty, that I'm glad you did, because uh, it would have been a waste of a beautiful soul who you are to have sat behind a desk at Apple for the rest of your career until you became old, um, doing financial work. God bless them. All I have all Apple products and I'm a geek, Apple geek. But that's that's not the point. The point is, is that, you know, that could have been cool. You could have put that on your gravestone, you know, Rusty, uh, very faithful employee at Apple and helped make this a very successful company. But instead, you'd like to make other people's lives happy and healthy and meaningful. And I, I just want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. Now, you speak about your experience at your son's birth and at your father's death. And I thought this was pretty telling. And you stated that you felt life beginning or life ending, as in your father's case, uh, right in front of you, okay? And I have to admit, I've been in both of those circumstances many times as well. Speak with the listeners about the creative energy that fuels our very existence, because this is getting now to some pretty spiritual stuff. It's getting down to the essence of who Rusty is becoming and will continue to become. Um, because now you're talking at a depth that I think not only do I love, but my listeners will. Yeah. Uh, so if, if for, for anyone who's been at one of those events, either a birth or a death, uh, if, in my experiences, it feels miraculous. And it just feels like there's a there's an entering of the life force or an exiting of the life force from a human being, and it really does feel like a spiritual moment. And you know, when, when I think about the gift that we have of life, you know, it's easy to to feel that at the beginning or the end of the life's journey, but we have it every day, and it's, it's this miracle that is your body that you you breathe and your heart beats. And your digestive system works and your pancreas does what it's supposed to do. And just all of this complex organism works effortlessly. There's no, no effort required on your part. There's no thought that's required. It just happens. And it's a creative process because your body, you know, cells die and new cells are regenerated. Like your, your body is recreating itself all the time. That gives us this wonderful, wonderful opportunity. This, this creative essence is with us every day. And when you open your eyes in the morning, you have a day of potential. And it's this ability to shape that day that I think is such a blessing that we have. You know, at some point, our eyes won't open anymore. And that will be the end for us in this journey here on earth. But until that point, we have the ability to learn and grow. And it's so easy to just do what we did yesterday. You know, the, the, the words that, that I use, Greg, is you're living by default, which is just repeating what you've done in the past, or by design. So we were talking about that earlier. And it's this, this creative ability to live by design because you're given the gift of life every day that you open your eyes. And that day has unlimited potential. You could do any number of things that day. 
Yes, of course, you have planned to do things and you have habits and you have expectations and, and all of these things that you carry into the day, but you get to choose every day. And as a creative you also person, get to choose to do that with gratitude. Absolutely. You know, I find one of, the, one of the most important things that I've learned in this 67-year journey is, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you give gratitude for the day, just everything you're grateful for. And you repeat that before your feet hit the carpet or the tile or whatever it is. Um, it seems to be that it sets in motion something different for you, a different perspective. The longer you give that gratitude, uh, the more interesting it becomes. And, you know, you say to upgrade this inner tech that we should follow the acronym for code. This is your, this is your acronym part. Can you speak with us about what the letters stand for and how to design a vision for the next level of, let's, let's use this word success, but let's put brackets around it and say, it's not the measure of success financially. It's the measure of success in the whole continuum of life, uh, everything in life, right? Uh, family, friends, relationships, money, however you want to do it. But I think a lot of people look at the word success and they immediately zero down in and they go, oh, that means that I have to have a lot of money in my bank account. Yeah, I'm 100% with you, Greg. Success is not about the money. It's about your experience of life and having what you want in life. So the acronym of code is, is how you get there. C stands for confront. You have to confront both your existing life. So you got to look clear-eyed at your life and say, where would you like more satisfaction and fulfillment in your life? So you have to confront that, but you also have to confront your beliefs about why that's not possible or where it's difficult for you. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. It's not the right stage of life for me to do this. My kids are young. I need to wait till they're older. Oh, I can do that once I'm retired. You have to confront all of these beliefs that inherently hold you back. The next stage is O for optimize. Optimize is about optimizing some of those beliefs. This is exactly what I described happened for me in that 20-minute talk when I was sitting there in the Unity Spiritual Center in Palo Alto. What if it didn't matter what other people thought? What if you didn't have to worry about how much money you made? What would you love to create in your life? So optimize your beliefs, recognizing you can create anything that you want. And if you believe, then you embrace that belief that you can create anything you want and put pause on all of the limiting thoughts, then that creates the opportunity to go to the next phase, which is D for design. Now you get to design a life, design a life that you would love to have. And I, I tell people, you know, if you think about a satisfaction scale, most people, maybe you're at a six or seven on the satisfaction scale. And they said, well, turn up the dial. Most people will turn it up to an eight. Because like, well, I think I could maybe accomplish it. So rather than aim for what you think you can accomplish, aim for a 10 or even an 11. Stretch beyond what you think, just a little bit beyond what you think is possible for you because you're stretching those beliefs. That's the only thing that's holding you back. So design a life, which is not just a career and an income, but it's also your relationships, your health, your free time, your hobbies, your interests, all of those things that come together to make a rich and fulfilling life for you. Design that. That's the D phase. And then you go to E, which is execute. And when you think about execute, you don't have to jump from one zero to 100 all in one leap. You can start with one. 
and then two. So if you've designed a picture of a life that you would love to have, what is the next step? Just to use my own journey as an example, when I got this idea in this 20-minute talk about wanting to have more conversation with people, the first step was to get curious about what that might look like. Would I want to be a therapist? Would I want to be a coach? Would I want to be a minister? Would I, you know, I don't know. So start to get curious about that and explore it. And that is an action step. It didn't mean marching into my boss's office and quitting my job on day one. Well, and I think also something that if people are at this stage, go find other people that you think are doing what you want to do and interview them. You know, be with them, talk to them, find out what it is like for them. What are the ups and the downs of that new career or whatever it might be, or the new relationship that they're trying to build? Um, And I think when you find like-minded people like that, it really helps. Um, And it it gives you some context uh, for making that change. Yeah, I just, just, I was just going to add on to that. You know, I, I talk about three essential elements to making these kinds of changes. One is stimulation. And hopefully that's what you're getting in this conversation. You're getting new ideas and getting creativity. The second is structure. You need some structure on how to navigate this kind of change. And the third is support. And that's what you were just talking about, Greg, is you need to have those yeah. people in your life who support you in this journey. You really need all three of those if you're going to be successful in making this kind of change or transition. Well, I think, you know, it's like a lot of people, you know, we've had uh, Napoleon Hill foundation director, Don Green on the show a zillion times. And, you know, the mastermind groups were things that were made in back in the 1920s. Um, and, you know, people today think, oh, that's new. Well, that's, there's nothing new about a mastermind group, but you were sharing experiences with one another. That's what you were doing. Uh, and not just about your business, about your life. And that's what people don't get, that that unfortunately there aren't as many of those groups around anymore as there should be. Now, Rusty, you cover a lot of material in this book. And for my listeners, here is the book again, Breaking the Code. The website for Rusty is SV, and that stands for Silicon Valley, right? Um, and it's dreambuilders.com, svdreambuilders.com. There you can go and learn more about Rusty. You can learn more about the book. We're also going to, he's giving a, a separate link for us, uh, for all of my listeners, uh, everybody out there to actually be able to download a couple of chapters of this book. Uh, but do contact Rusty. Uh, I think this would be well worth your while. Uh, as I, as they say in the business, you don't always find people where it's like the real deal. And I would say Rusty is, he's burying his soul. He's gone to the effort and work to do this. So please take the time to do that. Um, Rusty, you cover a lot of material, as I said. What are the three elements of your book you'd leave the listeners with that could have an immediate, and I'm going to underline the word immediate, positive impact on their lives? Because you know, if any, there is anything about a podcast, it's like, hey, I've listened to you guys now for almost 50 something minutes. Uh, tell me something that I can take away and I can apply. And that's that's where people really want that. So this is the hardest part of the interview. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
I'm going to offer a couple of things. So number one is to recognize that you just acknowledge that you've got a code, right? That this, this, uh, this autopilot, the system that drives so much of your behavior. Second thing is to recognize that you can change it. That doesn't have to drive you, but the, the way to change it is by setting a goal, coming up with your picture of success. Again, success, not in a financial sense, but success in the terms of, what really matters to you. Come up with your picture of success. So spend, it. you can do it in as quick as two minutes or five minutes, but you have to be willing to find that place of quiet, to listen to your heart, and to have the courage to believe what you hear. And when you do that, once you've got that picture of success for you, holistic success in all of your life, then take an action. It doesn't have to be, again, you don't have to go from one to 100. You don't have to march into your boss's office and quit your job, but you need to take a step that moves you in that direction. It's really that simple because, you know, so many of us say, I'll move forward once I have belief. But really the way it works is I start to gain belief as I'm moving forward. So don't wait for everything to be lined up. Come up with that picture of success for you and take an action step. I want to add one other thing, Greg, just in addition to the first two free chapters of my book, I'm also put together a special workshop just for listeners of Inside Personal Growth. So if you sign up to get the first two chapters, you'll also get an email with the information to join that workshop. Uh, So depending on when you're listening to this, you might be listening to this well after the workshop happens, you can get a recording of it. So that will all be available to just for your listeners and this is just for listeners of Inside Personal Growth. So we'll have a link for that in the comments too. That's quite a bonus. So for all my listeners, uh, I would take Rusty up on that. Again, he's a transformational coach. Uh, We've been on with Rusty speaking about breaking the code, okay? Uh, stop looking for answers and start enjoying life. That's how I loved it. This is an easy read book, folks. So for those of you who are watching on uh, YouTube, uh, just you know, pick it up, get a copy. It's uh, not expensive. Reach out to Rusty. Uh, click the link uh, to get the two free chapters first if that's what you need. And if you don't, then just uh, hook up with uh, Rusty directly. And I'm sure that he'd be uh, willing to speak with you would you be willing to take calls from the listeners or emails and do you do like a little uh pro bono discussion before they get involved with you as a coach absolutely i mean of course so if you're interested all my contact information is on my website so uh check it out and contact me i'd love to hear from you okay well rusty namaste to you thank you for all that you're doing Thank you for making the transition. Uh, Apple lost a really good, a dedicated employee, but on the other hand, the world gained a really good person with a big heart and big soul uh, who can now outreach to a lot of people and affect a lot of lives. You know, you might want to go back in Apple now as a transformational coach and actually offer your services. To them. <laughs> right. I use you. Blessings to you, man. Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thanks, Greg. It was great.